You're listening to the Renegade Blitz, the best podcast for Steelers fans by Steelers fans. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz, at RBlitzPod, and at Blitz Videos. Read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. But we're glad to have on Luke Easterling of Bucks Wire for this Renegade Blitz podcast. I'm Ty Polk. That's Chris Ward. That's the new Pittsburgh Courier's Brandon Walker, freshly reminted title. We wanted to make sure he had it after uh, last week's uh, debacle. But we're glad to have you on, Luke, and thank you so much for taking your time. But no, glad to be here and uh, happy to uh, to talk a matchup we don't get very often. Right? We've only had eleven of these ever. So. Yeah, and as we speak right now, the Penguins are taking on Tampa Bay 2-1, to one, so it's a double Pittsburgh matchup this weekend. But, man, we started this podcast in 2020, so, of course, a lot of things have changed for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the Super Bowl win, uh, tremendous, a tremendous action against uh, Kansas City, only allowing nine points for them, but, of course, Last season, and especially the offseason, it didn't exactly go so well. And then at one point, Tom Brady retired, and now he's back. But the question is, is it his last year? But let's talk about Tampa right now because it feels like they're in that classic situation where everyone's kind of doubting them. Uh, Well, I guess this is more a Tom Brady team thing. They're doubting them, but they're clearly right there as a team. Yeah, I, I think honestly, the first five weeks of this season have looked a lot more like the early of the early part of that 2020 season, right? Where where obviously Brady was trying to get used to the new scheme, the new teammates, and all this. You know, there's a guy that played in the same place for two decades, and for the first time, he's trying to you know figure other things out. So there were some growing pains there, and it didn't always look great. Um, but obviously, they figured it out when they needed to later in the season, and you know that was a seven and five team until they decided to stop losing games until you know the next year. Um, but that's, that's kind of what we've seen this year. And it's not a Brady thing, obviously now, but there are some very important moving parts around him. Um, particularly interior offensive line. You have three new guys. I know he's played with Shaq Mason before, but next to him, you've got, you know, you replace Ali Marpet, a pro bowl, all pro center or all pro guard on, on, on the left side, uh, with a rookie second round pick out of central Michigan who played right tackle. And now he's moving to left guard and playing in front of Tom Brady. So that's obviously a jump. Uh, and then you got Robert Hainsey who wasn't supposed to start pro bowl center. Ryan Jensen was supposed to start. Uh, and then he gets hurt in, in the beginning of training camp. So those three spots being new, 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 you know, new faces that they have to work in, I think is contributing a lot um, to how much this offense just looks a little disjointed, you know, and, and obviously outside of that, you point to the, the, the injuries at wide receiver, you know, you've had, very few games so far through these first five weeks where you've had everybody healthy. You know, you, you've had at least not for four quarters going into that first week. You you thought maybe you had everybody, but then Julio goes down. Godwin goes down with a hamstring. Mike Evans gets suspended. So, so many things about the offense in particular that I think are holding them back. And we're still just waiting for this team to play their, their first full four quarter game in all three phases where they kind of play up to their potential. We still haven't seen that yet. And Luke, um, how's uh, Tampa Bay's uh, rushing attack uh, been this year so far? Because the Steelers, they, you know, since dating back to last year, they've really struggled to stop the run. Uh, you know, the Bills put a, a ton of y- uh, yards on them. You know, Josh Allen had his way, but they also rushed over 100 yards against the Steelers. Uh, it's been it's been pretty inconsistent, much like uh, everything else. Um, there have been flashes and and even whole games where Leonard Fournette, in particular, has kind of taken over. Um, 
but this is still a team that I think is trying to figure out what its offensive identity can be, not necessarily what they want it to be. Um, but again, it, it all starts up front, man. When you've got, again, two guys at guard and center that coming into this season had never had an NFL start. You got a rookie left guard and a, and a second year center that never started an NFL game. And so when you're starting with that, the ground game's obviously going to suffer until those guys kind of figure things out. So they've been very inconsistent on the ground. I know, you know, for stretches when they've been behind, especially against Kansas City, they pretty much abandoned the run uh, and just chucked it all over the place. So you know, this is a team that I still think would like to commit to the run, but I don't think they're confident that they can right now because, again, that interior of that offensive line, it's just still so much of a question mark right now. Okay, we have uh, Mike Evans. Uh, Mike Evans coming off of suspension. We have Chris Godwin still. Is it the knee or is it the uh, hamstring? I'll let you answer that question. And you got Cameron Bay at Tyant. What do you think about the pass catcher and also Russell Gage coming from the Atlanta? What do you think about the pass catchers right now? Do you think that is part of the issue, like the chemistry of the pass catchers and Tom Brady? And how do you think about that? Yeah, like I said, injuries and, and absences, obviously, you know, Mike Evans' suspension for the uh, Green Bay game had a, had something to do with that. But he's Brady still hasn't had everybody healthy at the same time for a four-quarter game. Again, I think the first two quarters against Dallas in week one was the only time we had everybody that's on the roster. Again, Evans, Godwin, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, uh, Cameron Brady, all those guys have been either banged up or missing for some reason at some point since that fir those first two quarters against Dallas. So obviously that's that's going to have a huge impact on whether on what you can do on offense because, again, when you're – when you're installing things all week and you're, you know, Tom Brady, so you're working with the ones all day long and then you get to Sunday and Julio gets, you know, banged up on a play and Chris gets banged up on a play. And now you're down to Scotty Miller and Brashad Perriman and Jalen Darden. They had to sign Cole Beasley to the practice squad and activate him two games in a row. And Cole Beasley was so bad that he retired after those two games and was like, I just can't do it no more. So like you can tell that it's testing their depth. And when you have to go from, Mike Evans, who in my opinion is a Hall of Fame player, Chris Godwin, who's a Pro Bowl player, Julio Jones, who will be a Hall of Fame player when he's done. And any number of those guys, let alone all three of them, aren't available. And you go from those guys at the top of, of the food chain to Brashad Perriman and Scotty Miller, and even a guy like Russell Gage, who, again, signed a, a three-year, $30 million deal in free agency, but then missed most of training camp with a hamstring injury. So you're missing all of those reps, all of those opportunities to build that chemistry with Tom Brady. So he's just now starting to figure it out towards the end of the green Bay game is really when he and Brady started to, to really connect continued through the last couple of weeks. And, and they're try, finally starting to pick it up there and, and he'll need it because again, Julio Jones still looks like he can't stay healthy. looks like Evans and Godwin are finally picking it up and, and, and becoming the players we're used to seeing. Um, but honestly, looking at this matchup on paper, it's hard not to look at with all the injuries that Pittsburgh's going to be dealing with tomorrow. This looks like kind of a get right game for this passing game in that they're getting as healthy as possible aside from Julio Jones at, at the moment. Um, Cameron Braid is, uh, looks like he's cleared concussion protocol, so he'll play as well. But this looks like a game where Tampa Bay should be able to take advantage of that and, and, and show people what they're remind people of what they're capable of through the air with with how banged up that secondary is in Pittsburgh. And now I want to move on to the defense. And the defense is kind of in a 
in a in a new slant, really. When you think back of last year, they brought back everyone. And here I am watching the Ravens game this week. I assumed that JPP was still on the team. He's not. But it's it's kind of a new at least look in terms of it because you guys run a 3-4 much similar to the Steelers. And with Vea, Vea's a big part of that. And, and William Golston. Just, just talk about the new changes with this team because I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't exactly realize that Tampa is a little bit new defensively. Yeah, well, first of all, since I've got on this show, it's now four to one Penguins. So I blame y'all. I don't know what's going on, but uh, yeah, that's frustrating. Um, no, but there are some some moving pieces on this defense. Um, again, when you go into the offseason, they, they let Ndamukong Sue walk. They let Jason Pierre-Paul walk, guys that were aging veterans that they thought they could upgrade those spots. Um, they replaced Sue with Akeem Hicks, another, you know, older veteran guy. He got hurt in week two, hasn't been back since, um, with a foot injury, um, which was kind of the concern with him in general. Um, the Bucks spent their top draft pick in this draft. They traded down from 27 to 33, the first pick in the second round. They took Logan Hall, defensive lineman, interior guy out of Houston, who's been really, really good as a rotational guy, more of a pass rusher than a run stuffing guy at this point. Um, but obviously you got Vita Vea in the middle, one of the best nose tackles in the league. Will Golston just passed Warren Sapp, actually, for on the uh, the games played list in Bucks history. So William Golston has been around for a long time. He's been I think it's him and Levante David and maybe Donovan Smith that are guys that like that have been the, the longest tenured guys on this team. So Will Golston has been really an underrated player in this defense. He's he's survived. Think about how many times the Bucks have changed coaches in the last decade. They've gone through four or five coaches in that stretch. And he's played in every scheme imaginable. He's had to drop weight. He's had to add weight. He's had to go outside, inside, stand up. He's had to do so many things. And I remember talking to Will a couple of years ago about how much fun he's having in Todd Bowles' defense because that's actually the kind of scheme that he fits. And he's played really, really well. He's, he's again, still one of the more underrated players on the team. So, you know, there have been some moving pieces around, but there's enough continuity there. Again, they brought back Carlton Davis with a new three-year deal, their top corner. Um, Levante David and Devin White, I think are one of the best linebacker duos in the league. So, you know, they're Todd Bowles has been here since 2019. So a lot of these guys are, are, have been in the same defense for three or four years now. Uh, and really that should, that should, it should look that way on the field. Um, but there are still just a few missing pieces that are, that have been moving around and injuries that are contributing, which we'll see again on Sunday. They'll be missing Akeem Hicks. They'll be missing Logan Ryan. They'll be missing Sean Murphy bunting. Mike Edwards, the safety is a game time decision with an elbow injury. So they should, they could have some guys missing on the back end as well, but the defense again, dominant through most of the first three weeks, Kansas city. I don't know what that was, um, but they're they're obviously looking to bounce back and, and prove they can be dominant again this week. Yeah, um, moving to the linebackers, uh, uh, Shaquille Barrett, um, he's questionable right now. I think I think I read he's dealing with the illness. Right. Uh, um, <clears throat> the two inside linebackers, Devin White and Levante David, I mean, uh, been one of the best duos for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, Devin White, he, I remember in 2009 uh, NFL draft, uh, it was him and Devin Bush. It was like the two Devins and, uh, you know, Devin. Brandon likes always to get on Devin Bush because he's been, you know, a bust so far. But uh, Devin White, uh, how's he been looking this year? And uh, how's that that duo uh, continuing to be one, one of the best in the league? Yeah, it, it really is. And, and again, Levante David, I think, might be the most underrated player in the NFL throughout his career. You know, I think he came into the league in the same draft as Luke Keekley and, Bob, and Bobby Wagner. They both ended up in the NFC. And because of the way the Pro Bowl works and the way they do positions – 
it was always Bobby Wagner and Luke Keekley making the Pro Bowl, and even though Levante David always had better numbers, it didn't matter because the Bucks sucked. So you had Carolina in the playoffs often enough. You had Seattle in the playoffs pretty often through that stretch, and and, and Bobby Wagner being part of the, Le- the Legion of Boom defense and all that. But you know, Levante David was maybe one of the two or three players on the Bucks that was that was playing at any type of high level for a long, long time. So he kind of flew under the radar, and and now that he's kind of in the twilight of his career, the fact that he's still one of the better off-ball linebackers, and he's technically an inside linebacker in this defense, even though he's probably two thirty soaking wet. Um, he's, he's kind of an undersized guy and always has been. I remember when he came out of Nebraska in that 2012 draft, people were wondering if he should move to safety. So the fact that he's made such a long career uh, playing inside, playing again, another guy who, who switched schemes multiple times, was a weak side backer in a 4-3, moved inside for the 3-4. Um, the 4-3-3-4 thing, I don't know how much it matters anymore because everybody's in nickel and dime all the time anyway because there's so many receivers on the field. So the 3-4-4-3 thing doesn't happen a whole lot for most teams. Um, but on the outside, it's interesting because you got Shaq Barrett, obviously, assuming he plays on Sunday, we're not sure yet. Um, but he's been one of the better outside linebackers since he signed with the team. Um, now, on the other side, it's interesting because JPP has gone because they spent their first round pick two years ago on Joe Tryon Shoyinka out of Washington. And he's the guy that has shown flashes again this year. But I think they're still waiting for him to kind of break out and show how just how good he can be, particularly against the run, because that's where I think they miss JPP more than anything, is that he was always such a good run defender in addition to being an effective pass rusher. Tryon Shayinka is a very, very effective pass rusher, a great athlete, big guy, long arms, very explosive, but he's still trying to figure out how to defend the run and, and be that three-down type of defender. So definitely the you know some continuity there as well on the edge and, and off the ball. Um, the biggest thing with Devin White, though, is that he's so fast and he's so aggressive and he's so athletic that even four, you know three, four years into his career now, he's still trying to figure out how to mesh that with the mental part of the game and being patient and slowing things down and not overrunning plays and not always trying to press, press, press all the time and just let the game come to him a little bit. That's still his biggest struggle. It happens in coverage more than it happens against the run, but he's just such a ridiculous athlete that half the time he can kind of make up for those mental mistakes because he's just such a great athlete. He's still trying to refine that area of his game, and I think Bucks fans are kind of getting impatient waiting for him to kind of become the complete linebacker that they're used to seeing in Levante David. But as Levante David gets, you know, less and less athletic later in his career, they're hoping that Devin White can kind of take that mantle, but he's going to have to be more consistent if he wants to do that. Okay. You had the secondary of Jamil Dean, Carlson Davis, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. And, Mike Edwards, how do you feel about the secondary and how do you think that it will produce? Because three-fourths of that secondary was there during the Super Bowl run, but they were, I mean, except for Winfield, smaller contributors. How do you think they're going to be a bigger contributor to you guys during the season? Yeah, yeah, this this unit, a lot of these guys have been the same age and, and have played together for quite a while now. I know they uh, they let Jordan Whitehead go in free agency this year, um, but that group is a really tight-knit group, man. They're, they're, like you said, Winfield, Edwards, Davis, and Dean, they've all been within like a draft class or two of one another. So they played together for quite a while. All, all of those guys that I just mentioned were on that Super Bowl team and all had a big impact. Again, Winfield had an interception uh, in the Super Bowl. 
that was a tip from Edwards. Edwards had the big interception uh, against the Saints that that was Drew Brees' last throw of his career was picked off by Mike Edwards to seal that playoff game in New Orleans. Um, this this is a defensive backfield that is is built exactly the way Todd Bowles wants it. Right, he needs big, long corners on the outside who are athletic and can play press man and can move with any receiver. But his safeties are so key because he doesn't really use free safeties and strong safeties. He needs both of those guys to be able to do everything because that allows him to be to allows them to be interchangeable in the defense. You don't have deficiencies on free and strong, so you can move those guys around and it allows you to do a lot pre and post snap with the way you move things that can be really confusing to quarterbacks because if you can't lock into who's moving where and whose strengths are what it's hard for you to know where they're rolling coverages and how they're making changes. So the fact that they have guys like Mike Edwards, again, Antoine Winfield Jr., two of the better young guys in this league in terms of making plays, being athletic, being able to to support the run down in the box, but also make plays in space and coverage and cover in the, you know, in man defense, they bring on Antoine Winfield Jr. And I think you'll see a lot of this on Sunday because Sean Murphy bunting is hurt. Antoine Winfield Jr. is their nickel guy for the most part right now. He comes down in the slot and he plays a lot of nickel. Um, so what's hurting them now is the fact that they brought Logan Ryan in as the veteran guy to kind of replace Jordan Whitehead and Logan Ryan's been hurt. So that's really going to test their depth this weekend. If they want to keep moving Winfield down in the slot, they're going to have to have somebody else step up at safety. And if they want to keep Winfield at safety, it's going to be fifth round rookie Zion McCollum, who's, who's been hurt for most of the season up until now. I think he made his debut last week. So you're asking guys to come down and start against a, a very, very talented receiver group. Winfield was talking about this earlier in the week, how much um, he really enjoys watching the Steelers receivers because they're obviously very, very talented. Um, so that's a matchup that's going to be interesting. Again, just like Pittsburgh, this is a unit that's a little bit banged up. Again, no Murphy bunting. Uh, you've got Logan Ryan out. you got Mike Edwards dealing with the elbow. So he's a game time decision. So very interesting to see who will actually be on the field and how well they'll be able to to stop that really talented receiver core. Yeah, and uh, Luke, um, how's the? I saw the the Bucks' run defense has been struggling lately. Uh, how do you how do you think they match up with the Steelers? The Steelers they they don't run the belt ball well either. Their offensive line's been struggling to run block. They're they're better in uh, pass protection, and uh, Najee Harris has been having uh, some struggles also. So, how, how do you think that matchup is going to play out? I mean, I hope it plays out really well for Tampa Bay. I'm not, I'm not sure how it'll go after watching the last couple of weeks, right? I mean, going back to 2019 when Todd Bowles took over this defense, ever since then, this has been one of the best rush defenses in the league, right? And again, Vita Vea has a lot to do with that when you have a, a 6'5", 340-pound nose tackle who can run faster than probably all of us, which is terrifying. Like, that's that's just such an important piece to that defense. And you can if, if you have that guy who can not just take up two blockers, but shoot gaps and make plays in the backfield, that that starts everything for your run defense. But the last two weeks have really been concerning, right? I, they've given up a buck 50 on the ground two weeks in a row now, and they did it against the Chiefs, who the week before that couldn't run the ball to save their lives against the Colts. And then they did it again last week. It's really, really concerning um, that this team is just not able to stop the run like they're used to. So again, I think Akeem Hicks being out of the lineup has a huge part uh, of that. Um, but this, hopefully, again, on paper, you see the way that, that Pittsburgh has struggled to run the ball. Uh, you see the way their offensive line obviously just needs a whole lot of help. Um, and hopefully, I think Bucks fans are looking at this as an opportunity for them to kind of reassert their dominance in terms of run defense. But I mean, Najee Harris is, is a really good back. Jalen Warren is, is a really underrated back, in my opinion. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if the Bucks can get right in that area as well, 
Or if the Steelers can look at this and say, hey, this is a team that's given up 150 yards on the ground, five yards a carry, two games in a row. Maybe this is our opportunity to get right and have a little confidence that we can run the ball on these guys. That was one thing they were looking to in a lot of the uh, conversations with Mike Tomlin and the rest of the team. But in your opinion, you've mentioned some of the some of the struggles for for Tampa Bay, at least with it. It's really offensive health and consistency. And of course, defensively, it's also health and consistency. It's a common thread between many teams in the NFL. But who are you looking to in this game as someone who needs to step up for the Bucs? You know, I, I think it, it starts in the offensive line. Again, I, I'll bring up uh, Luke Gedeke, who is that rookie left guard. Again, they drafted him out of Central Michigan. They traded up in the second round to get him, so you know they really liked him. This is a guy who played right tackle at Central Michigan, so not even an FBS program, and you're asking that guy to move from right tackle at a, at a, at a smaller college program and move to left guard, completely different side of the ball, completely different position, and start week one protecting Tom Brady in, a, in a, an offense that has Super Bowl aspirations. And you're replacing Ali Marpet, who was one of the best guards in the NFL for the last seven years. So it's time now we talk about, I think you, you talk to any NFL coach or any NFL locker room, and they get to the point where like, all right, five, six games into the season, like rookies aren't rookies anymore. It's time to, it's time to work. You know, it's, you don't get any excuses for being a first-year guy. And I think they've got to have him step up. He's, he's, he's been the starter really since – since late in training camp and it's time for him to to show that he can be a quality starter in this league because if he's not this team can't wait around very long this is a team again that that assumes they're going to win the the nfc south if they play up to their potential and they're going to have you know a home playoff game and a chance to make another super bowl run they can't be worried about whether or not their left guard is going to be able to hold up again especially with a 45 year old quarterback who needs that interior protection so I'm I'm I think all Bucks fans are waiting for Luke Gedeke to step up and say, hey, this is my job before they kind of have to start looking around and seeing, hey, what else do we have? What else is on the market? Can we bring a veteran in here? Because we can't wait around for these rookies. We're not rebuilding. We're reloading. We're trying to win a Super Bowl. So he's the guy on offense in particular that I look to and 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 see that on defense. One of these DBs is going to have to 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 take that unit over and say, hey, we're going to have to make plays to win this game. We're playing a rookie quarterback. We've got to, the Bucks do not have a great record against rookie quarterbacks in recent years. They have made some really, really bad quarterbacks, some really inexperienced quarterbacks look way too good in recent years, even under Todd Bowles. And I think that's a big concern for Bucks fans going into tomorrow. Somebody in that secondary has got to take it over. They have got to make some plays. I don't know if it's Winfield. Davis is the guy who just got $15 million a year for the next three years. Maybe it's him. I don't care who it is, but I think Bucks fans are waiting for somebody to take over on that on the back end of the defense and not just shut down plays and, and knock passes over. Get your hands on the football, turn the ball over, give it back to the offense, and make some splash plays. That's what they're waiting for. Okay. Who do you fear on the Steelers to have any chance of pulling this upset? Well, uh, Going into the week, it was Minka Fitzpatrick, but I don't have to worry about that no more. So, um, honestly, and and again, the theme this whole time when I'm talking about the Bucks' offense has been the interior protection, right? So it's terrifying that y'all have one of the best interior pass rushers and run defenders in the league in Cam Hayward. That's the guy that worries me. Uh, you know, when, again, you've got a rookie left guard, you've got a, a second-year center who's somewhat a rookie because he never started before this season. 
And then you've got Shaq Mason on the on the right side who's still trying to develop chemistry with the other guys on this unit. So Cam Hayward, again, is a, is a pro's pro, a guy that has been doing this for a long time at a really, really high level. He's going to be chomping at the bit to get after Tom Brady and to shut down this running game. And I think, again, the Bucks' weakest link on offense is the interior of that offensive line, particularly on the left side. Um, so Cam Hayward is the, is the guy that really, uh, really worries me. Yeah, and Luke, uh, you know the Steelers. Last time I checked, they're they're ten point underdogs, which is the you know the, the longest uh, or the biggest uh, spread as, as an underdog in, since uh, I think the AFL NFL merger in nineteen seventy for a Steelers game at home. Wow. Uh, so, um, uh, do you do you have a prediction for the game? I do, I do. I'm not taking that line though. I'm not putting money <laughs> on this. I don't. You talking about double digits on the road against the Pittsburgh Steelers team? I don't care how bad they are. They still have Mike Tomlin, maybe the most somehow the most underrated coach uh, in the NFL somehow, even though he's the second winningest active coach in the league. I don't know how you're underrated at that point, um, but I think he is. I, I I don't see this team getting blown out for most of the game. I see, you know, maybe it's a, a, a 10 point game late in the game and maybe the Bucks get a pick six on a desperation play to make the score look a little, you know, larger, the deficit look a little larger than my, it might have otherwise. But, you know, 20, 26 to 17, maybe it's, maybe it's 30. Like I said, if they get a, a late gimme, you know, touchdown on defense on, uh, late in the game. But, you know, I think Pittsburgh's going to hang tough in this game for quite a while, because again, I, I trust Mike Tomlin. I think they're a very well coached team. Um, and I think that covers up for a lot of ills on, on your roster and in terms of your, of your personnel. And again, I'm still just, I don't trust the bucks yet. We haven't seen four full quarters from them on both sides of the ball yet. yet. And, and I don't know, I don't know even on paper, going up against a team that's as tough as the Steelers are, are, are looking right now in terms of who's, who's not going to be there, who's, how bad they're playing. I, I got to see it first before I'll believe it from this Bucks team. And I, I think a well-coached team like a Mike Tomlin team is going to give them a tough fight. I think the Bucks do pull away in the fourth quarter and, and maybe it is a two score win, but I sure as heck ain't putting money on, on double digits on the road against Pittsburgh. No. Yeah. And Luke, uh, you mentioned uh, Tomlin. Uh, I, I don't know how long you've been covering the team for the, the Tampa Bay, but do you remember him when he was uh, the, the, the Buck defensive backs coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm born and raised here and, and been following this team for a long time. If you go look on Twitter and my profile picture is me at like two years old with some Bucko Bruce t-shirt on. So um been a fan of this team for a long, long time and remember Mike Tomlin well from his time here. Again, he was part of part of Tony Dungy's staff that took over this defense and and really gave the Bucks an identity probably for the second time in their lives in terms of a positive one. They were losers for a long, long time, aside from that stretch in the, in the late seventies when they, they were pretty good there under Doug Williams uh, mm-hmm. and, and Leroy Selman and those guys. But for a long time, Buck football was really, really bad until Tony Dungy came around and installed that defense and the Tampa two was so dominant and they ran it so well. And go back and look at that secondary. You got Hall of Famer John Lynch. You got should be Hall of Famer Rondé Barber. And Mike Tomlin was their DB coach. He was the guy that was running that unit that was so dominant. And and again, won the Super Bowl, one of the most dominant defenses, one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a defense. And obviously that performance in the Super Bowl against the Raiders. Mike Tomlin was a huge, huge part of that. And I think a lot of Bucks fans who, again, are, are old enough to remember that uh, are very appreciative for his contributions to this franchise. Yeah, Tampa's always been a, a second favorite team for me. I still have a uh, jersey of Cadillac Williams that I've had. Some I have years. one of those too. I love it. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've seen another guy with a red with the red uh, home jersey of it, and I and I walked up to him one day and still like I think we're like one of two people in the entire state of Pennsylvania that probably have that jersey. He was one of my favorite players gr- growing up, and also who was the Super Bowl MVP for that that Super Bowl? 
Dexter Jackson. Dexter Jackson. <laughs> that, yes, that's sir. how you. That's how you know that that Tampa two. Everyone always thinks it had to be John Lynch, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks. Brooks did have an interception, but it was Dexter Jackson that had two. Four interceptions. Yeah, that game, they could have given that MVP to like five different guys in that game. They could have given it to Simeon Rice. They could have given it to Dwight Smith. But the problem with that, Dwight Smith had two pick sixes in that game. But the problem was the second one happened after they had already asked all the media to submit their votes in the press box for MVP. So they had already went down Dexter. And and honestly, I I think a lot of people look back at that and they'd be like, oh, they, you know, Dexter shouldn't have got it because these other guys. I don't think that game gets out of hand without Dexter Jackson's interceptions because they happened so early in the game that I think it really got in Rich Gannon's head. Again, this was the number one offense in the league. This is the same thing the Bucs did to the Chiefs this t- twice now. Like, if, if you go play the Bucs in the Super Bowl, evidently your offense, no matter how good it is, is about to get its ass beat. Like, that's just the way it is. The Bucs have gone to the Super Bowl twice. They've played the number one offense in the league both times. And in the first time, they played the Raiders and picked Rich Gannon off five times and ran three of them back for touchdowns. The Bucks' defense scored more points in that game than the Raiders' offense. So technically, the Bucks' defense was the best offense in the NFL that year, and I stick to that. Then they yeah. played the Chiefs. They shut them down. They don't even let them score a touchdown, 31-9. to nine. It was beautiful. So, yeah, that 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 game was, was wild, man. I, I, again, Dexter Jackson, those two early interceptions really set the tone, and I think, I think Rich Gannon's head was swimming after that, man. I want to ask you this. How has Tom Brady impacted the community of Tampa Bay? I mean, it's it's hard to, to put into words, especially being somebody who is, has lived in this area for most of my life and, and been been a Bucks fan through a lot of different eras where you like growing up, all my friends were were front running kids right you you buy a Packers jacket until you buy your Broncos jacket and then you buy your Cowboys and then your Patriots like whoever's winning all these kids are just rooting for the winners and then I'm over here in my creamsicle bucko Bruce starter jacket just like can we please just like win more games than we lose please can we just not have a top five pick um so what 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 struck me when Tom Brady signed in Tampa Bay was just how does the greatest player of all time, to, to in most people's opinion, pick the team with the lowest winning percentage in the history of professional football and say, that's where I want to go. That's where I can win. And again, obviously, you, you think about it in terms of what was actually in, in Tampa at the time and the way they built that team. And there are a lot of good reasons why he came here. Um, but for me, thinking back to being a kid and, and, and watching this team and also just being a member of this community, being a member of this city and living here for so long, when that guy decides to come to my city, to my team, and says, that's where I want to be, and I'm going to go win a championship down there, and then he does it. He does it. He he lived up to all of that hype immediately. They went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl at home in their stadium in my city, 10 minutes from my house. Like, the 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 impact on this community, the sports community in particular, um, but he's been heavily involved in charity stuff throughout the community as well. He is definitely, he and his family have embraced this community, um, as a second home. And, and again, I, I do this for a living and I cover the team and obviously there's a level of, you know, detachment that you have to have when the work is being done. But as somebody, again, who grew up in this community, grew up a fan of this team, I am very appreciative that Tom Brady decided he could come here and win the championship. I'm happy he was right. Uh, and I'm happy that, his legacy will include a really nice chapter uh, here in the Tampa Bay area. 
And I'm glad that this sports community, these fans here, will, will be able to tell those stories uh, for years to come because he decided to come here. Yeah. Plus, anyone that, that uh, denies Carolina and Atlanta Super Bowl is always welcome in Tampa Bay. You're welcome. all right do you want how long do you think that tom brady's gonna play for tampa how much longer Uh, (laughs) it was pretty close this summer i mean yeah i think i think i think this is it i think this is it Uh, i I don't know if he will go through another circus of will he retire, won't he retire. I know he doesn't want a, a victory lap. He's said that before, um, but I think this is it. I, I think, again, his contract's up after this year, so he's technically a free agent again. I mean, at 46, do you really want to go to another team and start over on you know with a new offense and new teammates and do all that thing again? If, if anything, if he was going to play, I think he would stay here. I think he would continue to play in Tampa Bay if he thought um, – but look at the – I mean, the Bucks are $45 million over the cap already for next year because they've done so many things to push money and push money and push money to take advantage of this window, and they could probably do a few more things to keep doing that. But I don't know. Everything everything points to this being it for Tom Brady. I think he's going to take one more stab at, at another Super Bowl. And if he doesn't get it, I do think he's, he's probably just taking one more stab at playing the game because once you're done, it's over, and, and you can't do it anymore. And I think he knows that. He realizes that. And – as much as he would love to end this year on the highest note and win another Super Bowl, I don't know that he needs that to feel fulfilled. I think he honestly is just going to do everything he can to enjoy this last ride and enjoy every moment he gets to be out there playing the game because I really do think he just loves the game so much, and he knows he's going to miss it a lot when it's over. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned that the uh, Tampa Bay had a good pieces of players uh, when Brady chose to come there, so I, I was wondering because uh, they, they did, you know, Mike Evans and the receivers, uh, Chris Godwin's been really good. And, uh, you know, Jameis Winston was there and, like, he just threw, like, a ton of inter- interceptions, but he had a lot of yards. So, like, Arians, like, his system was working and stuff. But so I want to know, like, how much did Arians have a role? And, uh, you know, he did a great job building that staff with, you know, Byron Leftwich, who used to be a backup quarterback for the Steelers, and uh, yep. uh, Larry Foote's on the staff now. So, like, uh, how big of an influence – I know a lot of people give Brady the credit and stuff, but how big was Arians in that, uh, you know – a role of uh, bringing the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay. Well, I think, you know, Brady himself has made it clear that Arians being here was a big reason why he came here. He wanted to work with a, an established coach and an offense that he could, that he knew he could, you know, meld minds with and, and build something, tweak it a little bit. Obviously you take your stuff and I'll take my stuff from new England and we'll figure out what we both like and bo- what both works. And obviously there was so much, so many rumors about, him and Arians having a bad relationship and that leading to the retirements and all that. There's just no, no facts or basis to that, to my knowledge whatsoever. Everything that we've seen again here physically in person, I think a lot of those reports have come from outside sources that have, that have not been here every day and and watch those two people interact. But I mean, the the proof is in the results, right? We just, we just watched the greatest two year run in Bucks history, the most successful run in Bucks history over the last two years. And the relationship and, and the working relationship between Brady and Arians is a huge reason why that happened. So, I mean, it, you cannot overstate the impact that he has had. And again, he was supposed to go, Bruce Arians was supposed to go into the team's ring of honor in week four, uh, but they canceled it because the hurricane was coming. They didn't even know they were going to be able to play the game in Raymond James Stadium earlier in that week. So they moved it to later in the season. But no, Bruce Arians, his fingerprints are all over that team. He and Jason Light, the general manager, the roster that they built, 
was the roster that Tom Brady, for the first time in his life as a free agent, he could go anywhere he wants. He says, I'm going to go to Tampa Bay. And I think a large part of it was because they had built a roster that he understood, hey, this is a team where if they get if they get me, they get the right quarterback in the right situation. We could do some damage. We could win a championship. And obviously he was right. And a lot of credit goes to Bruce Arians. A lot of credit goes to Jason Light and his staff in the front office because they had already built that. They had put those pieces in place um, to, to be the team. Tom Brady said, hey, that's the one I can go and I can win immediately. Pretty much. I really appreciate you coming on, Luke. Hey, my pleasure, guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, real quickly, uh, at least for, for Steelers and Bucks, I'm going to say uh, 28-14. That seems like it. I mean, Kenny Pickett finally gets that long-awaited first touchdown, but in the end, the Bucks pull away probably somewhere in the second half, That and that's the difference. I'm going to say 34-10, to 10, so the Bucks do cover the spread. Uh, I, I think the Steelers finally get a receiver to have a touchdown reception. And, you know, they haven't had one all season. So, uh, but I think Brady's going to have his way. He, he dominates the Steelers. He's 12 and three overall in his career, uh, including playoffs against the Steelers. And I think this, this most likely will be his last game in Pittsburgh. And I, I think he's going to have another one. Could follow him at Luke Easterling. He is a part of the Bucks Wire at Bucks Wire, a part of USA Today Sports. And I'll do it for us all here. I'm Ty Polk. That's the new Pittsburgh Couriers, Brandon Walker. And that's Steelers Now's Chris Ward. And you have been listening to the Renegade Blitz. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Blitz podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz, at our Blitz pod, and at Blitz videos. Read articles on renegadeblitz.com. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. The Renegade Blitz podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and wherever else you can listen to podcasts.